If you have your Bibles, please take them and turn with me to uh, the book of Numbers once again, to Numbers chapter 15, Numbers 15, uh, and we will be continuing, or Numbers 14, excuse me, continuing our, our, um, our series in this book of Numbers. Uh, I hope uh, last week was a, a sort of a, a cliffhanger sermon, you know, kind of there was a part one of part two, so uh, I hope that uh, I see many of you are back, that's good. Uh, I should have more cliffhanger sermons, I was thinking that we can all come back and hear more. No, anyways, uh, probably not. You just hear because you love the Lord Jesus, and that's good too. Anyway, it, said, it has been said that there are three big decisions that you will make in life. Three big decisions, or the three greatest decisions you can make in life. In reverse order are, number three, uh, what career you choose or what major you, do, you, uh, you choose to study. It depends on what age you are at that time. Uh, what career you choose, essentially. Number two is who you marry. That's kind of makes sense. Uh, each of these are, uh, affect long, huge parts of your life. And, but number one uh, choice and decision that you could make is who you believe, who you believe. No greater decision in life than to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. And I hope that for all of you in this room, that's, you've got decision number one uh, figured out, that you've decided and you've chosen to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's, that decision will impact the rest of our lives, not just the rest of our life here on earth, but the rest of our lives for all eternity. It is such a profound decision, and if you have not made that decision, I do invite you to consider today, to receive today what Christ has done for you, that he's died on the cross for your sins, that he rose from the grave. He did not stay dead, but he rose in the grave so that your sins may be forgiven so that our sins might be forgiven, that we might have the hope of eternal life, forgiveness through His Son, Jesus Christ. And yeah, that's an important decision. No greater decision than that. But believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, for many of us who are believers, who have already decided to put our trust in Jesus, you know, we, we think of it in terms of oftentimes in a, a one-time moment, uh, um, d- decision in the moment, in time. We think about it as, oh, when I was in college, or when I was a young adult, or when I was a child in VBS. And believing in the Lord is, is truly, it, it, is, it has that element, but it's not just that element. It's not just that one-time decision. It is also, believing in the Lord is also believing in the Lord day by day, throughout one's life. To say that I believe in Jesus is not just something in the past, but it's something in the present. And hopefully it's something in the future as well. And today's passage is an example of a day, of, a, of a day in, in the life of the nation of Israel where a decision that they make, like those, the decisions we talked about, especially the decision about Jesus, impacts and affects the rest of their lives. There are moments in time in our lives where we face such decisions. Usually they're dark times, they're trial times of trial. They're, sometimes they're just major decisions. And, and in that decision, we, it impacts the rest of our lives. Many decisions are mundane, but every decision, each day as believers in Jesus Christ, is a day for us to be believing and trusting in the Lord. And we're going to hopefully see that this principle fleshed out in our text this morning. Hopefully, uh, today's passage, we, uh, just to give us, or give us a little background update, um, it is a continuation from chapter 13 on the subject of walking by faith. 
And that's uh, something that we all must do as believers to keep walking by faith and not by sight in contrast. As we learned last week, we continue to learn how easy it is, this week, how easy it is for us to, to walk by sight and not by faith. Because we're finite, we're, we're fallen creatures, and, and so we're given to sin, where we still have the effect, have that sin nature within us. And sometimes we act and think based upon, well, ourselves. That's uh, the heart of, of sin, really, our selfishness. We think we're number one, instead of, well, God is, ought to be number one. And so we often think and act based purely on our own thoughts and observations about life, instead of, number one, God's thoughts and God's revealed observations of our world through the scripture. Put into proverbial terms, we, we tend to lean on our own understanding, do we not? That's why we need to be reminded not to do that, rather than trusting in the Lord's promise. Well, the nation of, of Israel, again, historically, in the, as we get to Numbers chapter 13, 14, they have arrived at the edge of the promised land. They've, they've, uh, they're at Kadesh Barnea in the wilderness of Paran. They are about to enter the promised land. And before doing so, God gives them this opportunity to send 12 spies, 12 really representative leaders from the nation, people who to represent them, people of some credibility, people who, when they speak, would influence people. And so these leaders are sent to examine and bring back the, the word and witness to the land, the people, and the cities of the land of Canaan. Of course, they succeed in their mission, which we saw in chapter 13. And uh, they return to give the report. Sadly, 10 of the spies, the majority, give a bad report. They don't trust in the Lord's promise. They don't walk by faith, but they walk by sight, what they saw with their eyes. And they give a bad report that discourages the people. Only Joshua and Caleb, or the minority report, trust the Lord, walk by faith, and they encourage the people to take possession of the land which God had promised. So for and so as we look today, this is a, last week we I think our outline was three observations from the spying on land, and I'm so creative that I decided to give you four more observations from the spying out of the land. So, but it's really a continuation, just to kind of keep that in mind. And remember, outlines are not inspired, only the word of God is inspired. So four observations from the spying on the land. They encourage God's people to walk by faith and not by sight. That's where we're going to head. That's hopefully what, that by the end of this sermon, even as we look at it, we're reminded that we need to be people who walk by faith. And uh, it's easy not to. But what helps us to not to? And so I'll try to bring out some principles from this, the text that will help us not to uh, walk by sight, but instead to walk by faith. All right, let's walk through this story. It's 45 verses. I, I was tempted to break it into, <laughs> I was tempted to break it into uh, another sermon, but I, I decided against that to this time. So Numbers 14, verse 45. I'm going to spend a lot of time reading this text the stories that is, ought to, is good, and it, it ought to just tell itself, really, for uh, Numbers chapter 14. And so let's look at the first uh, of, this, of these four observations that we're going to look at today from the Spy on the Land. And observation number one is found in verses 1 to 10, and that is the people's rebellion. The people's rebellion. Uh, in response to the bad report from the ten spies, the people rebel against the Lord in verses 1 to 10 of chapter 14. Let's read the scripture. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. All the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? 
So they said to one another, Let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in the presence of all the assembly of the congregation of the sons of Israel. Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh of, of those who had spied out the land tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel saying, The land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. But all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Land right there. The bad report basically causes a panic among the people. It was, uh, you know, <laughs> I was just thinking about this. this. This is exactly what it was like when, when we first heard about this COVID virus, right? Our world, our nation just really just went to panic mode. We, we went to lockdown. We went to start, we buying all everything off the shelves at Costco, locking ourselves in our homes and just shut down everything. That was that, was that response to that initial because we just didn't know. This was like crazy. It was uncertain. And here, that's, that's what the people here, they're overwhelmed by this, this terrible report that they're all going to die if they go into this land. And, and they respond in this way. The prospect of entering a land that devours its inhabitants and where the men are giants lead them to the simple conclusion that they are going to die and their families are going to be taken as plunder. That's in verse 3. And therefore they were afraid. They were afraid. If you're going to die, you're going to lose your, your family, your children, it's a natural response to be afraid. It's, it's, not, it's not foolish to be afraid. By the way, you know, being afraid is not a sin. Afraid means just simply emotion to external circumstances. It's what you do with that fear that can be sin or righteousness. Anyways, once again, uh, this time the, their fear leads to sin. And their fear leads them to grumble against their leaders, against Moses, against Aaron. Once again, we've seen this pattern in the book of Numbers. The people complain. The people grumble. We've seen how earlier, how greed leads to complaining. We've seen how envy leads to grumbling. And here we see how fear leads to grumbling as well. Their fear is so great that they would have rather died in Egypt or even in the wilderness rather than enter the promised land. They start thinking that it would be better for them. And they have some temporary amnesia. They'd be better back to, to go back to Egypt where it was just you know, so nice. So they start discussing among themselves, let's, you know, Moses and Aaron, they're just not doing it for us. We, you know, we just need, a, we just need some new, a new leadership. We need a new direction. Let's, let's choose some new leaders that will lead us back to Egypt. Of course, underlying this kind of grumbling, complaining, is basically a heart of unbelief. It's a heart of of. Failure to believe and trust in the Lord God, Jesus, in Lord God. They did not, basically, they did not believe or trust that God would protect them. They did not believe or trust that God would give them the promised land as he had promised. They did not believe or trust even God's leaders whom God had given over them. Even when Joshua and Caleb spoke up to remind them of the truth that this is a good land, it's just as God said. 
And we're going to take, and we can enter and take, receive this land if the Lord wills, just as God has promised. Reminding them of God's word. Even when they do that, it didn't change any hearts. So in verse 9, Joshua and Caleb call out the nation for what they are and warn them, do not rebel against the Lord. Oh, they were just complaining, grumbling, complaining, right? But God here through the, the words of Joshua and Caleb say, do you are, what you're doing is you're rebelling against the Lord. God had promised them to give them the very, that very land. He had delivered them from slavery. He had brought them through the sea and the wilderness all the way to the edge of the promised land. He even, even allowed their leaders to walk in and witness the promised land for a period of 40 days. Now, because of fear, they were ready to forsake God's ways and return to Egypt. That is rebellion against the Lord. They were ready to kill God's appointed leaders, even in their rebellion. Here we see uh, basically a clear example of God's people walking by sight and not by faith. They listened to the ten who simply were saying, this is what we saw, this is what we witnessed. These people are like this. This land is like this. Let us not go in. Let's go back. And there's plenty. There's, uh, these, these verses here are just full of rich principles. <clears throat> but I'll just emphasize one one primary one for us just to hang our hat on and perhaps to meditate upon is this, that if God's people are going to walk by faith, we must remember that the Lord is with us. That's what Josh and Caleb were trying to encourage the, the, the people to do, to remember that the Lord is with us. For Old Testament Israel, he was certainly with them in very visible ways in the glory of the cloud that led the way. But what about for New Testament saints? How do we remember that the Lord is with us? Well, we remember it in the glory of God's Son. Jesus, who is Emmanuel, that is translated God with us, came to this world, came to this planet, and born as a, of, a, of the Virgin Mary, he lived, he, was, he walked on earth, everybody saw him, they, 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 they touched him, they heard him, and his, his life are recorded in the scriptures and, in fact, in other places in the extra-biblical literature as well. But not only is Jesus God with us, but he furthermore promised to be with us to the end of the age, as we read in Matthew, or we've read in Matthew 28, 20, the Great Commission. But moreover, Jesus is the constant reminder that God is for us, that, Jesus, that God with us came to this world is a constant reminder that God is for us. I was reminded this week of, from a, um, somebody in this church of these verses in Romans 8, 31 to 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? If God did not spare his own son, then we can have confidence that God is for us. He will fulfill his good will in each of our lives, and we can trust in him when we feel weak, when we feel helpless, when we feel afraid. We can trust because he gave us Jesus. He is for us. 
He is with us is a constant reminder that God is for us. God is present to act in our lives as he's already given us his son. What more would he withhold from us? And as we <clears throat> and as we walk in this world and as we face different trials and we uh, face or find ourselves uh, either feeling helpless or afraid or unsure what to do, we can always know that God is with us. As we continue the story, uh, we wonder, we see how God responds. How will God respond to the rebellion of the people? And we see this the response of the people in verses 11 to, uh, 11 to 39, really. But we see particularly two kinds of responses, if you will, two, two responses of God's character that reflect God's character, which make up our second and our third point. And so we see God's response reflected or manifest because of his loving kindness. We see the response of the Lord's love. Loving kindness is a, it's a really, a, it's an old kind of, old school kind of word. We don't really use it every day. When was the last time you were, used the word loving kindness? But it's a word kesed in the Hebrew, kesed. It's the word that conveys God's uh, covenantal love. His, sometimes it's translated faithful love, loyal love. It's love that's beyond feelings. It's a love that simply is a commitment that God makes because he made a promise to love uh, his people, nation of Israel. And it, just as God made a promise to love you, he, uh, he, he's faithful to keep that. No matter what you may do, no matter how you respond to him, no matter of your, 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 your attitudes, it's not dependent upon you. It's dependent really upon his faithfulness, his loyalty to his own, his own word. God is that kind of, and that's his loving kindness. It manifests in, in various ways in, in, uh, uh, in his relation to our world. But we see God's loving kindness reflected in verses 10 to 21. Then the glory of the Lord, oh, excuse me, let me read from the scriptures, directly from the scriptures here. Then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting to all the sons of Israel. The Lord said to Moses, how long will this people spurn me? And how long will they not believe in me? Despite all the signs which I have performed in their midst, I will smite them with pestilence and dispossess them, and I will make you into a nation greater and mightier than they. But Moses said to the Lord, then the Egyptians will hear of it. For by your strength you brought up this people from their midst, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people, for you, O Lord, are seen eye to eye, while your cloud stands over them, and, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now if you slay this people as one man, then the nations who have heard of your name will say, because, of the Lord, because the Lord cannot bring this people into the land, which he promised them by oath, therefore he slaughtered them in the wilderness." But now I pray, let the power of the Lord be great, just as you have declared. The Lord is slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and the fourth generations. Pardon, I pray, the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your loving kindness, just as you also have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. So the Lord said, I have pardoned them according to your word. But even indeed as I live, all the earth will be filled 
with the glory of the Lord. Just as the people are about to stone Joshua and Caleb, the glory of the Lord appears at the tent of meeting. Uh, it appears, and so that everyone all of a sudden sees and, and, and all of a sudden uh, turns to where the Lord is. And it's just a reminder to us that the Lord knows always what's going on. The Lord knows what's in our thoughts and what's in our speech and our conduct. He sees and hears all things. He knows, and he knows that there's rebellion, this, of the rebellion of, these, of the people that the rebellion against the leaders is, is ultimately a rebellion against him. And he points out that he knows that their problem is, is one of unbelief. How long will these people not believe? It's, it's not just that they're, they're, they're uncomfortable and that they're grumbling, complaining. They're, they're just not just the, well, it's, it's, the, it's just they're afraid. It's ultimately unbelief. Circumstances reveal the problems in our hearts. We oftentimes like to blame the circumstances, we, and we, we might, but we blame even the, our responses to the circumstances. But the problem is the blame lies in our hearts. It's, it's, these circumstances reveal what's the spiritual condition of our hearts, and the spiritual condition of these people was one of unbelief. And it was unbelief despite all the signs that the Lord had performed in their presence. Despite the plagues, the Red Sea, Mount Sinai, manna, quail, water, etc., the Israelites had, had a heart of unbelief. And so God tells Moses, he's going to simply, I'm going to, and this is not the first time he had done so earlier in, uh, when, they, uh, when they committed the sin of the golden calf. God told Moses that he's going to basically destroy Israel and he's going to start over and make a new nation with Moses. And Moses in his humility, and he truly was a humble man. We see his humility here. Moses responds rightly by interceding and pleading for the people of Israel. He reminds the Lord, in his prayer, he reminds the Lord of God's character, of God's promise. And verse 18 is a key verse where he quotes basically the Lord's description of himself. It was the very description that the Lord spoke of himself when he uh, put Moses in the cleft of the rock and covered him with his hand so that he would pass by so that Moses would not look at his glory but allow him to see the back of his glory even with his hand covered, covered there. And in that, in that passing, the Lord declares about himself these descriptions. Of all the descriptions, there's plenty in the description, but, Moses, but uh, in, this, in Moses' prayer, he emphasizes the Lord's love. And because he emphasizes the Lord's love, he prays in verse 19 that God would pardon the iniquity of the people according to God's great loving kindness. God had already shown his loving kindness to, to forgive Israel from Egypt until now. He reminds them, Lord, you've been forgiving them already. Please, out of your love, your great loving kindness, your loyal love, your faithful love, continue to forgive them. And Moses appeals to God's love to continue doing so. And God in his love, in verse uh, 21, 20, 20 and 21, agrees to pardon them. Though they deserve to be destroyed, completely destroyed, to completely wiped off, God pardons them. You know, in time, you think it's bad for them, but for any of us, that's how terrible sin is. If any of us sin, even one sin, God in his righteousness, at any moment, at that moment, we deserve to be struck down and completely wiped off the face of the earth, to die. 
But God doesn't do that. And when God doesn't do that, that's a reminder to us of his loving kindness. He doesn't strike us down dead even though we sin against him. We're reminded in this passage, in this section, that just like Israel, none of us are going to live and walk perfectly in faith. We all fail. We know we try to walk by faith, and we ought to walk by faith, but there are days and moments where we, we will fail. We will fail to follow the Lord in our daily decisions to trust him. And instead, when we really, and what you, we don't often think about is when we don't trust him, we're actually rebelling against him. And though we deserve death for our sins, we find instead forgiveness. Why? Because of our faith in God's Son. Because of God's great love that he gave his only begotten Son. So if God's people are going to walk by faith, we must know that there are going to be moments when we fail. And so we must know God's love through faith in his Son, Jesus. You can't walk by faith without knowing the knowledge of Jesus. We need the knowledge of Jesus Christ to walk by faith, to begin walking by faith, but then to keep on walking by faith, there needs to be that awareness that when we fail, that, and we will, that we can cry out for forgiveness because of God's love. Because of God's love. Now, while we see the response of the Lord's love and kindness in this passage, we also see the response of the Lord's, the Lord's judgment. The Lord's justice is the character of his justice. Um, but I'll call it the Lord's judgment in verses 22 to 38. It's really a continuation of the Lord's response to the rebellion of the people of the sons of Israel. Verse 22 to 38. Let's continue reading the story. <clears throat> surely, God, <clears throat> surely all the men who have seen my glory and my signs, which I have performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, yet have put me to the test these ten times, and have not listened to my voice, shall by no means see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who spurn me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land which he entered, and his descendants shall take possession of it. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites lived in the valleys, turned toward to turn tomorrow and set out to the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who are grumbling against me? I have heard the complaints of the sons of Israel, which they are making against me. Say to them, As I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will surely do to you. Your corpses will fall in this wilderness even all your numbered men, according to your complete number from 20 years old and upward, who have grumbled against me. Surely you shall not come into the land in which I swore to settle you, except Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. Your children, however, whom you said would become a prey, I will bring them in, and they will know the land which you have rejected. But as for you, your corpses will fall in this wilderness. Your sons shall be shepherds for 40 years in the wilderness. And they will suffer for your unfaithfulness until your corpses lie in the wilderness. According to the number of days which you spied out the land, 40 days, for every day you shall bear your guilt a year, even 40 years, and you will know my opposition. I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely this I will do to all this evil generation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall be destroyed, and there they will die. 
As for the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land and who returned and made all the congregation grumble against him by bringing out a bad report concerning the land, even those men who brought out the very bad report of the land died by a plague before the Lord. But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of, Je- son of Jephunneh remained alive out of, these men, out of those men who went to spy out the land. It um, may cross your mind and seem as a little odd or strange for the Lord here, as we've read in this passage, he first, uh, uh, to basically express and convey that he's, how he's going to punish Israel after having said that he would pardon them. Right? Uh, maybe you've thought of that. But we, under, we remember that the Lord is not only a God of love, but also a God of justice. That he can, not, he can pardon, but there still uh, is a penalty, a punishment for sin. And we know that ultimately that punishment would be taken on by Jesus. In fact, earlier, verse 18, uh, Moses had prayed that the Lord will by no means leave, uh, by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations. That he will not, he will not let guilty people go, simply uh, their sins go unpunished. That that sins of, of the guilty must be punished at some place or somehow. Of course, we know that we feel in Jesus. But nevertheless, he says too that the Lord, in, as part of his judgment, part of the punishment, he causes the, the iniquities of the Father, that there will be a, an effect of their sin felt upon the children of, the, of those sinners to the third and even fourth generations. See, when they were, and so in this case, when they were forgiven, God had spared them from what they deserved at that moment. That was their complete annihilation from the face of the earth, which they deserved. However, they would continue to experience consequences for their sin, not only as a punishment, but as a means of discipline for them as well. So instead of killing them immediately, God promises here that the generation of adults, that first generation from 20 years old and up, would basically all not see the promised land ever. They would all die in the, in the wilderness. They would wander and die in the wilderness over 40 years, one year for each day of spying out the land. God in his mercy as well as in his justice allows them to live the rest of life. It's a, it's a life sentence as they wander, live out the remaining of their lives in the wilderness until they die. And of course, as God says, it is exactly what they wanted. It's exactly what they had expressed. Remember back in verse 2, oh, would that we had died in Egypt, would that we had died in this wilderness. Sometimes, as we said, we remember back in uh, Numbers 11 and 12 when we talked about that, sometimes God in judgment will give the people exactly what they want. You want quail? You want meat? I will give you meat more than you can ever eat. In fact, and that is, it becomes a judgment. That's what the Lord does here. You want to die in the wilderness? I'll give you that. And so they all, 20 years on and up, those uh, for the next 40 years, they would all fall and die in the wilderness, just as they had expressed. That was the judgment. Three times, in fact, God says, your corpses will fall in this wilderness. It's a very a repet, a repet, a repeated phrase that just rings of the judgment. Sort of like, you will die, and you will die, and you will die. Only Caleb and Joshua spared this judgment. And furthermore, fittingly even, though the people had feared that their children would become plunder, would become prey, 
God promises instead to protect them. You're afraid they're protect, that they're going to become, they're going to be left unprotected? No, I will protect them, says the Lord. I will bring them into the land, the very land that their parents had rejected. And then, of course, for the ten spies, the judgment upon them is swift and immediately because they had the responsibility to lead and they led the people into sin and God immediately judged them with a plague and they died. We see here that failing to trust the Lord leads to basically a loss of blessing. The first generation lost the blessing of, of entering in the promised land. It doesn't necessarily mean that they lost their salvation, uh, particularly if in those next 40 years of their discipline they had responded with repentance and faith. But they did lose the blessing of entering that promised land. As well as they, they experienced the, the suffering of having to watch their children suffer for the next 40 years being shepherds in the wilderness because of their own sin. And so these are the, these are the consequences. These are the judgment of God upon the nation of Israel. And we, see, we learn this kind of, reminded this kind of principle that if God's people are going to walk by faith, we must remember that failing to do so may lead to lifelong consequences. A lot of times we, we, we think that, oh, you know, God's going to forgive us, so it'll be okay. And yes, God will forgive you if you fail to walk by faith. It, it, it's true. He's, our sins are paid for by Christ, but there, are, there often can be, or will be consequences for us when we choose to not walk by faith. You choose to forsake worshiping the Lord for a season, you may find your family learning, your children particularly, that worship isn't a priority, and you will find you may not be surprised don't be surprised when they fall away and choose not to worship the Lord. You choose to be unfaithful to your spouse, you may find yourself losing your whole family, your community. You choose to abort a child, you may find the guilt of a life, a life lost, the sorrow of that. And so on are the ways that decisions that we make throughout life and failing to walk by faith. And, and I'm sure uh, I know there are some in my life and I'm sure there are some in your life where we fail to make uh, a decision that was uh, by faith. Instead, we walk by sight. We chose to rebel against the Lord's commands and we, we chose our own way. And we continue to bear the consequences of it, effect of it upon our life, even though we know that in the grace of Christ we are forgiven, yes, But there, if we're going to walk by faith, we must remember that how serious it is to do so. Failing to do so can lead to lifelong consequences. Can lead. Not always, but can lead. Well, let's, we end up with one last final observation from this text to encourage us to walk by faith and not by sight. And that's in verse 39 to 45. And we learn about the, the people's folly. The people's folly. Their foolishness. It's really their response to God's response. Okay, so it's, it's what happens when they're basically reproved. What do the people do? How do they respond? 39 to 45, let's look again at the word of God here. When Moses spoke these words to all the sons of Israel, the people mourned greatly. In the morning, however, they rose up early and went up to the ridge of the hill country, saying, here we are. We have indeed sinned 
but we will go up to this place which the Lord has promised. But Moses said, Why then are you transgressing the commandment of the Lord when it will not succeed? Do not go up, or you will be struck down before your enemies, for the Lord is not among you. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites will be there in front of you, and you will fall by the sword, inasmuch as you have turned back from following the Lord, and the Lord will not be with you. But they went up heedlessly to the ridge of the hill country, neither the ark of the covenant of the Lord, nor Moses left the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in that hill country came down and struck them and beat them as far as Hormah. Moses' words from the Lord hit like a, a ton of bricks upon the people of God. They're, 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 they're kind of like shaken out of their, out of their, out of their, 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 uh, uh, their rebellion. And almost uh, twice in two days, they weep, they mourn. They mourned earlier when they heard the, of the giants in the land. Now they mourn, they mourn again because of the loss of entering the promised land. They, and they mourn greatly, in fact. And the response here is, as we, we reflect upon our pastoral staff meeting this week, is that this is very much like the response of children. It's when children are disciplined for some sin and, and they lose, and we, as a consequence of, of, uh, of their sin is that they lose some privilege. So, okay, you're not going to pick up your toys? You're going to lose this toy. It's going to be donated or put away. And all of a sudden, you know, like, like children do, they all of a sudden, no, no, we'll do that thing. Oh, here I am. I'm clean up now. I'm clean up. I'm putting it away. And that's all you know, what kids do. And sometimes it's kind of funny, but um, you try to be strong. Sometimes I'm not, but that's all right. Not, that, not confession time yet. But they're like children. Children, all of a sudden, and this, the Israelites are like this. All of a sudden, they've lost, lost the promised land. And this, they come, oh, Lord, Lord, oh, we're wrong. Oh, we're ready to go in the land now. But it's too late. God's word, not like, unlike my word, is always going to be, once said, is going to be constant, is going to be fulfilled. And he has said that they will all die in the wilderness. None of them went to the promised land. Nevertheless, they, in their, in their, in their sorrow, over their loss. It's not a genuine sorrow, but a sorrow over the loss. They foolishly continue in their rebellion, really. God had commanded them to turn away to toward the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. That was God's word now. Not to enter the promised land, but to go by the way, the verse 25. But in their selfish sorrow, they now want to go back in, to go into the promised land. But they would not enter the promised land. Any act of this, any attempt into the promised land is now an act of rebellion against God's commands because they're not going by the way of the wilderness. And Moses tried to warn them that the Lord would not be with them, but still they went. And so they gathered the army, but Moses would not go. The Ark of the Covenant would not go. Presumably the Levites did not go. The priests did not go. And the, Moses as well as the Ark are all symbols of God's leadership over the people of God. And so they went to war without God. The Lord was not with them. And the result, of course, was, and we read in the verse 45, that they're defeated. They were defeated by, just as Moses had said, they would be, because God was not with them. See, the Israelites still are not taking God's commands seriously. 
They don't take God's word seriously. They don't believe God's commands, God's word. They only believe it when it's convenient, when it's pleasant, when it's hard. They don't want to follow God's commands. They only want God's blessings. They don't want God's words. They do not connect that God's blessings come from through God's word, through following God's word. And a principle for us today in this passage is that if God's people are going to walk by faith, we must walk according to God's word. It's pretty straightforward. And one cannot say they have faith in God and, and yet they do not obey God. They don't obey God's commands, God's word. Because faith leads to obedience. Faith produces good works. See, walking by faith is walking in obedience and trust in God's word. Walking by faith is not a feeling. You know, a lot of people talk about faith today like, oh, I, just, I just got faith, I'm, it's going gonna, it's gonna to work out. It's like, I feel it's going to work out. Let me just put, I feel like it's going to work out. Faith is not just confidence, you know? It's not like, yes, that's going to happen. Blind confidence, really. It is trusting and obeying daily the Lord's commands. Because that God's word is the only thing that is sure. It begins with, yes, with putting your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. But it continues with putting your faith in Jesus for our daily sanctification, for strength and sufficiency for every day of your life on earth until we get to heaven. Every moment, every decision, every day is an opportunity for us to walk by faith by walking according to God's commands. You cannot walk by faith if you're not, if there's, you know, you can't walk by faith if you're not actually consciously thinking about what God's commands, God's word. That's, I'm walking by faith in God because I remember this promise of God that he's going to protect me or he's, that God's not going to forsake me or God's, God's going to leave or God's going to work this together for my good or that God is for us. And these things, it has, faith is, is a response to God's word. Tomorrow when you wake up, you will face a hundred, if not more, choices to make throughout your day. Some mundane and others that you will dread or anticipate, I can imagine. In each one, they are an opportunity to walk by faith in the Lord. And I think of 1 Corinthians 10.31 where it says, Whether then you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Each and every decision we make, from the, the common to the very important, we can all do to the glory of God by making those decisions by faith in God's commands, God's promises. And you will never know when that single decision will change the rest of your life. Some might not know. But nevertheless, let's strive to walk by faith. By faith, we will remember that the Lord is with us. He's present in our lives. By faith, we'll know that God's love in his son Jesus. By faith, we'll remember that failing to do so may lead to a lifelong consequences. And by faith, we will walk according to God's word. For we wish we are called to walk by faith and not by sight. Some questions I'll leave with you just for a discussion uh, among yourselves and your small groups. You might want to just take a picture. I'm not going to read all of them to you. Uh, but they are questions that are, uh, may be helpful to you. And just to, to think about uh, some of the various applications that you could draw out from our text this week. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for your, <clears throat> for your word this morning. Reminds us, Lord, how 
how easy it is uh, for us to, to fail to trust and believe in you. Uh, when fear strikes, and when we are, when even, and uh, we can't help but think of the analogy with our pandemic this past year, it's easy for us to, uh, <clears throat> to respond in a fear, fear that leads to, to grumbling, complaining, fear that leads to, to sinful choices, a fear that causes to walk by sight and not by faith. And Lord, we, we ask for your, your help. We ask for your strength. We ask for your, 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 your sufficiency. We pray, Lord, that as we look to this coming year and look to our, uh, this, uh, every day of this coming year, as we will often make many choices, many decisions, help them to each day, each decision, each moment, be moments by which we walk by faith. Lord, continue to fill us with your words, fill us with truths of Christ so that they would be constantly on our mind as we go about our days and affecting the decisions and the, way we, the choices that we make. Help us, this church, to be conformed more into the image of Christ. Help us as a church as we make decisions to make decisions that reflect a walking by faith and not by sight. Lord, may you cause us to be uh, those who continue to grow in our love and our, our knowledge of you, especially, Lord, cause us to grow in our knowledge of your loving kindness. Help us to remember always the love that you have shown for us in your Son, Jesus Christ. Therefore, even when we fail, we know we, there will be times when we do, Lord, that you are ready to forgive us. And Lord, in, our, in humility, we pray that you would teach us to accept the consequences of our sins, even as we rejoice in the forgiveness that you offer in Christ. God, we praise you and thank you for our time together. Help us to go out of these doors and to continue to walk by faith and not by sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.